Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Historical Resources and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brokemarkle, and coming up on the program, we'll explore how the French colonization of Florida led to the Spanish establishing the first permanent European settlement in North America. I grew up hearing the stories just like every other fourth grader in the state of Florida hears about uh, Rabot and the French at Fort Caroline and Menendez and the Spanish in St. Augustine. Of course, it's our national origin story. We'll look at a biography of St. Augustine founder Don Pedro Menendez de Avales. 16th century uh, firsthand accounts of these events are incredibly scarce. Uh, this particular document, this publication that we're looking at, was is actually a translation of one of those first-hand accounts. And we'll examine early Florida maps. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. Twenty fourteen marked the four hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the French in Florida with the establishment of Fort Caroline in fifteen sixty four. Twenty fifteen marks the four hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the establishment of Saint Augustine by the Spanish, creating the first permanent European settlement in North America in fifteen sixty five. The Spanish sent Don Pedro Menendez de Avales to Florida to wipe out the French Huguenots and reclaim the land for Spain. Menendez attacked Fort Caroline and sunk a fleet of French supply ships led by Jean Ribot. Chuck Mead is director of the Lighthouse Archaeological Maritime Program in St. Augustine. He spent the summer of 2014 searching for the lost fleet of Jean Ribot and will continue those efforts in the summer of 2015. I'm a Jacksonville native. I grew up in Northeast Florida. Uh, I grew up hearing the stories just like every other fourth grader in the state of Florida hears about uh, Rabot and the French at Fort Caroline and Menendez and the Spanish in St. Augustine. And of course, it's our national origin story. It's how uh, the you know the first settlement here in the present day United States. So it's very exciting uh, that with the anniversary coming up, we're in a position to try to find these ships. Uh, Rabot had a fleet of seven uh, ships. Uh, the four largest ships were unable to offload their cargoes uh, in, in Jacksonville at Fort Caroline uh, when they were surprised by Menendez, and the stage was set for a bloody in-game at that point. Uh, so uh, the French uh, under Rabot launched a preemptive strike, and he took his four largest ships, sailed to St. Augustine, and of course our dangerous our, our inlet in St. Augustine is so dangerous, uh, those large ships couldn't even make the attempt to get in, and that's when the hurricane struck. Uh, his ships were driven to the south, cast ashore somewhere in the Canaveral area, somewhere in the vicinity of where we are sitting right now. Uh, Menendez took advantage of that. He, he knew there was no way whether those ships were wrecked or not wrecked. He knew they couldn't uh, claw their way north, so he took advantage and sacked Fort Caroline uh, after a two-day march. And so that, again, really set the stage. And, and, and then, of course, these shipwrecks uh, had, uh, occurred, and we had all these survivors who, uh, as we all know, uh, once they marched north and uh, surrendered to the Spanish, 
Spanish were massacred somewhere around uh, Matanzas Inlet. Uh, but those ships are out there. Uh, Menendez wrote a letter to the king uh, giving at least a description of, uh, of the locations of uh, La Trinité and the other uh, three uh, French wrecks. Uh, we also have uh, a clue uh, from an archaeological site known as the Armstrong site. Uh, that was found by relic hunters in uh, 1971, and they found a lot of great uh, artifacts, French coins, Spanish coins, uh, iron objects, so iron spikes that had been salvaged from shipwrecked material uh, that had been then modified in a forge, had been, uh, uh, you know, shafts cut off of fasteners so, so they could make tools out of them. So uh, the archaeologists uh, from the National Parks service who kind of followed up with excavations in the uh, 1990s uh, agreed uh, with the relic hunters that this uh, appears to be uh, the uh, survivor camps of these 1565 shipwreck survivors. Well, it seems to me the logical place to search for the shipwreck is near where the survivors were because they probably, if they were actively salvaging materials uh, from those lost ships, that, those, that's kind of a lifeline for them. They're, they're making uh, uh, goods to trade with the natives. They're making tools to help them survive. Uh, so probably in the vicinity of those campsites is where we may find these shipwrecks. Throughout 2014, there was a debate over the site of Fort Caroline. The traditional view is that both French and Spanish historical documents indicate that Fort Caroline was located near present-day Jacksonville. Robert Tunin, associate professor of anthropology at the University of North Florida, explains that this traditional view places French Fort Caroline and Spanish Fort San Mateo on the same site. Correct. Uh, once the Spanish uh, take over, conquer the fort, in 1565, they continue to occupy it for almost five years. So archaeologically, as we look for the fort, we're looking for both French and Spanish. But specifically, because the Spanish occupy it longer, there's going to be more Spanish debris. So that ought to be the signature for it. The traditional view also holds that the Spanish encampment of Saloy and the settlement of St. Augustine are located at the same place. At least our viewpoint is that the, the distances and the fact that Saloy is in what today is St. Augustine um, gives us that geometry of distance uh, and uh, the fact that later on the Spanish are pretty meticulous about uh, locating the various uh, river sandbars as they head north with some degree of precision. So um, all of that helps to suggest to me anyway that Fort Caroline and Fort San Mateo are on the St. John's River. Tunin says that the Native American landscape of Florida at the point of European contact also reinforces the traditional view of the location of Fort Caroline. One of the interesting things for me is um, how we triangulate Fort Caroline is based partly on the native landscape, which is connected to the French because the French visit some of the native villages, and then later those villages become Spanish either missions or visitas. And the prime example of that is uh, San Juan del Porta on Fort George Island, that that mission is initially the, the village of Almacani, and then later it's burned by the British in 1702. So you've got that degree of continuity that I would argue is pretty convincing for its connection to Fort Caroline. Although the location of Fort Caroline on the St. John's River has not been definitively proven with archaeological evidence, an intriguing piece of French pottery has been found and identified. Yes, we have one piece of French pottery uh, that was recovered from a dredge spoil uh, island uh, by William Jones, an amateur archaeologist, and 
he gave it to the University of Florida as part of a collection that he had uh, picked up. And it was archived, and it wasn't until uh, one of our students, Rebecca Gorman, uh, was doing an analysis that we asked her to go through the collections to see if there might be something, again, that was unrecognizable. Because for a long time, people haven't known what 16th century pottery from France looked like. Uh, we know what Spanish material looks like, but not French. And today, from the work that's been done up at Charles Ford in, in Paris Island in South Carolina, we know a lot more about French pottery. So that helped in the analysis of locating and understanding that that piece was French. There is a reconstruction of Fort Caroline at the Tamuquin Ecological and Historic Preserve in Jacksonville, but Tunin says that location of the fort is symbolic. When Charlie Bennett, uh, the congressman from here, tried to get a, a place, one of the things he was concerned about was th the access to real estate to create a memorial. He didn't want to condemn property that might alienate people by the purchase. So where it is today is a representation. It is a memorialization. It's not um, the real location, nor is the model or scale fort that's there the real fort. So that's something we need to remember when we're thinking about Fort Caroline. Anita Spring, professor emeritus at the University of Florida, is part of a team arguing that Fort Caroline was actually located on the Altamaha River in Georgia, or perhaps on the St. Mary's River. Well, we've been uh, working on this uh, topic for the last two years and have gone from examining um, maps from the 16th and 17th and 18th centuries, 16 to 18 for the French maps and 16 and 17th centuries for the Spanish maps and then English maps starting in the 17th and 18th centuries. We've, we've done a very exhaustive uh, uh, kind of research on these maps. And uh, quite frankly, if you take the maps and you look at uh, the coastal maps, let's say contemporary NOAA maps, uh, National Organization for uh, Atmosphere Agency, and um, NOAA, and if you look at the um, um, Google Earth, everybody has access to most of that, and you take these maps and you match up the rivers, well, it depends where you start. If you start with the St. John's, they don't match. And, and that was a shocker, uh, quite frankly. If you start uh, with the Altamaha, many of them match. And if you start with the St. Mary's, many of them match. But uh, the St. John's flows north. And the River of May flowed from the north to the southeast. So that became a very big clue to start with. And uh, quite frankly, it was, it, was, it was those maps and the looking at the way the River of May was flowing and its location and so forth that uh, made us say, my goodness, uh, the St. John's can't be correct. Retired historian Fletcher Crow is working with Anita Spring. Crow re-examined 16th century French texts at the National Archive in Paris, the Newberry Library in Chicago, and at the University of Florida. Crow reached different conclusions than historians before him. In addition to the uh, geophysical arguments, there are a, a variety of different arguments. For example, um, the French recorded the words of the Indians that were nearby the fort. 
Um, if the fort had been located in northeast Florida, that is in today's St. John's near Jacksonville, the Indians would have been speaking the Tamukun language. But uh, that's not what the, uh, the French recorded at all. They recorded um, what's called Muscogean language, which could be Yamasi or Awale. And so uh, that helps place the fort uh, much farther north. And there are other kinds of um, uh, criteria as well. Uh, for example, uh, William Bartram was a, a, an American botanist who traveled through this part of the country a number of times uh, shortly before the American Revolution. And uh, he recorded the uh, sites of some of the Indian villages that were also recorded by the French. And so you can work backwards. If you know where the sites were and you know how to get to the sites, then you pretty well know where the fort is. And if you apply that logic to what William Bartram said about the Native American Indian villages that he visited, uh, the site of the fort was not St. John's or uh, near Jacksonville. Archaeologist Chuck Mead strongly disagrees with the theories of Anita Spring and Fletcher Crow. It's clear they put a lot of effort into their research. Uh, you know, they, they, they present a lot of maps. Uh, they had a lot of ideas. Um, it just, to me and I think to a, a good number of the other folks who were at the conference, uh, their argument just wasn't that uh, convincing. Um, a lot of their argument is based on maps from the 16th century and the 17th century, and anyone who's worked with old maps knows it's just hard to you know pinpoint a geographical spot with real accuracy, uh, and yet that's what they're trying to do. And then at the same time, they'll have a map from uh, the 1780s, so centuries after uh, these uh, uh, the, the the fort was founded, uh, with a river labeled the River of May at Altamaha River. You know that's that's what they're saying is that everything is about 70 miles to the north. Uh, you know, it's hard to use an 18th century map to find a 16th century colony. It's hard to use a 16th century map uh, to do so. And I think every map they produce that shows the river uh, further up north looking like it's in uh, Georgia, you could find another map that shows it where we think it is or maybe further south. Uh, you know, again, there's a lot of variation in these maps. Uh, other evidence they brought up, they talked about linguistic evidence and that uh, that uh, the French were in, in the, uh, the land of the Guale uh, people instead of the Tamuqua people. It really just flies in the face of uh, so much great scholarship uh, that has been done over the last uh, 50 years. Um, you know, what was most telling for me uh, was what we know. You know, Menendez wrote uh, the king in detail. We know that Menendez attacked Fort Caroline from St. Augustine and that it was a two-day march. Uh, of course, there's no way you can get from St. Augustine to the middle of Georgia in two days, uh, let alone during a hurricane. So many people have done such great scholarship. Uh, you know, they just didn't, at this stage, they don't have an argument that's very compelling. It was the establishment of Fort Caroline by the French in 1564 that led to the establishment of St. Augustine by the Spanish in 1565. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Brokemarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to find great books on Florida history and culture, original video, and archived editions of this program. You can also become a member of the Florida Historical Society and receive our great journal, the Florida Historical Quarterly. Check us out at myfloridahistory.org. <music> Thank you.
Joining us now is Ben DiBiase, Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. Ben, as we've been discussing, 2015 marks the 450th anniversary of the founding of St. Augustine by Don Pedro Menendez de Avilés. That's right. Back in 1565, Pedro Menendez de Aviles and a small party of Spanish soldiers came to Florida in search of a small French uh, fleet that had set up a colony just north of present-day St. Augustine near Jacksonville at the uh, mouth of the St. Johns River. In 1564, uh, Jean Ribot and a group of French Huguenots had set up a colony there known as uh, La Caroline, or the Fort Caroline Colony, and the Spanish uh, monarchy felt that these heretics had to be driven out of what they claimed was French territory. Uh, So Pedro Menendez was sent to Florida with the explicit instructions of destroying the French fort and killing all of the what they who they branded as heretics, um, and then setting up a, a Spanish fort at that time. And Pedro Menendez de Aviles did that with uh, somewhat brutal force, but he did it quite efficiently. Found the French fort um, in in August of 1565. Uh, there was a small naval skirmish, and a number of French uh, boats headed south. Uh, Menendez then destroyed the fort, the La Caroline Caroline uh, colony set up St. Augustine, and then finished off the rest of the uh, the French survivors. Now, you have here a biography of Menendez from 1923? Yes, that's right. And 16th century uh, firsthand accounts of these events are incredibly scarce. Uh, this particular document, this publication that we're looking at, was is actually a translation of one of those firsthand accounts. It was published in 1923 by the Florida State Historical Society, which was actually a contemporary organization of the Florida Historical Society. And the goal of that organization was to publish facsimiles of important early colonial Florida history documents, including this account. Now, this uh, uh, biography is known as a, a memorial or a, basically a memoir of uh, the life of Pedro Menendez de Aviles, and it was written by his nephew, uh, a gentleman by the name of Gonzalo uh, Solas de Meras, and uh, he was along with Pedro Menendez in 1565 when he came to Florida. So many uh, historians would often dismiss an account such as this as being um, uh, probably written by someone who never actually visited the New World, but we do know that uh, his nephew Solas de Meras had actually visited St. Augustine um, and had witnessed a lot of these accounts firsthand, um, including the attack on the French fort and the uh, actual establishment of the St. Augustine colony. Well, as you mentioned, 2014 marked the 450th anniversary of the French in Florida, which is why Menendez came here in the first place. Uh, can you uh, select a couple of passages here to uh, give us an idea of what this uh, is in this biography? Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned before, uh, Solis de Maras was along with uh, Pedro Menendez, and being his nephew, uh, he was given the special job as the uh, the expedition scribe. So he was responsible for keeping daily notes of, of what happened. So uh, because of that, we have this incredibly uh, detailed account, firsthand account of what actually happened. Now, it's written, uh, probably written sometime uh, after they uh, got back to Spain, about 1567, 68. Uh, so there may be a little bit of... of um, areas where where the story was expanded on a little bit, and the narrative is a bit more flowing and more romanticized than the actual events. Um, but again, most historians believe that um, his descriptions are are fairly accurate. Um, 
And here on this passage, we again, this is the first English, English translation. So the original document was written in Spanish, but it wasn't actually published until the 19th century in, in part. And then in 1923, this was the first complete publication, uh, English publication of this document. Um, and here they uh, mention visiting with the Indians. And here, uh, this is September 8th of 1565. And Maris mentions that the Adelantado, who was Menendez, had the Indians fed and dined with the Indians himself. And then on finishing, he went to inspect the uh, construction of defenses. Because keep in mind, the Spanish really didn't know uh, how strong of a force had existed uh, that the French had in, at Fort Caroline, so they built defenses so they could protect against uh, a possible French attack. Uh, and then later on, uh, after they had taken the fort, uh, the La Caroline uh, fort, up in Jacksonville, again, they, uh, as I mentioned before, they chased the French um, uh, south along the coast. Unfortunately for the French, they encountered some bad weather and were shipwrecked a little bit further south near Cape Canaveral. Um, and along uh, with that party was Jean Ribot, who was the leader of the French colony. And the uh, survivors, these maroon sailors, were all taken prisoner. Uh, and uh, Solas de Maras describes the uh, uh, the plea that Jean Ribot made to Menendez to, to spare the lives of his sailors. In fact, he even offers himself in, in, the, in the place of some of his sailors and offers to pay ransom for many of the sailors. Uh, but at the very end, after the Adelantado, after Menendez listens to these pleas, uh, he decides that uh, Jean Ribot would be given the same fate. Uh, it, it, he writes here that they were marched over the sand in the same line as the others, and they were commanded that the same be done to all of them as to the others. And he's alluding to the uh, the massacre of these French uh, soldiers on the other side of the dunes. And the uh, Spanish word for massacre, which is Matanzas, is the current place name of the inlet where this incident occurred just south of St. Augustine. And I guess the only uh, people he spared, according to this account, were the musicians. That's right. It says here the, uh, they only spared the fifers, drummers, and the trumpeters, and four more who said they were Catholics. <laughs> All right. Well, fascinating reading during this uh, special anniversary time for St. Augustine. Thanks, Ben. Sure. Thank you. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. This is Florida Frontiers. Much of the debate over the actual location of Fort Caroline is based on the use of early Florida maps, which are not always reliable. Robert Casanello from robertcasanello.com has more. It's very difficult. Uh, you can imagine trying to piece this together long distance without Internet and without uh, telephone communications, not without even proper letter communications in many cases. Their ships were intercepted and, and sunk. This was a, an age of piracy. The French and the Spanish were at war. In many cases, this is a very difficult process in terms of the information getting back to Europe for these map makers. It was, it was hard and uh, often fraught with, with in incredible dangers and difficulties. That was Ben Usman, the cardiographic archivist at the University of Texas Arlington Libraries. He spoke to me about the early European efforts at map making and the difficulties 16th century expeditions had in producing early maps of Florida. Some of it was a lack of technology. Mr. Usman explains. Another thing they had to do was to figure out, well, 
uh, about what latitude did this take place. That was another big problem, but the bigger problem was the longitude. How far east or west did this take place? And since they didn't have chronometers in those days, and those are clocks to help you keep track of the transits, it was even more difficult to determine how far east or west they were. If you've seen some of these maps from the 16th century, you might wonder how these map makers came up with such unusual shapes for the Florida Peninsula. I showed Mr. Usman a number of these maps, and he told me that most of the map makers in Europe had never been to the Americas and were relying on information that was returned on expeditions to North America. Theodore's debris was one of these early map makers, and here Ben Usman tells me about the process by which he created his maps. One of the cartographers that did one of our maps is Theodore Debris, and he got his information from someone who had actually been to America, Jacques Lemoyne Lemorgue. And so what happens uh, when Jacques Lemoyne came back and drew a map from memory, he had to draw it from memory in this case, the cartographer had to figure out how to put that information onto a copper plate. And it was quite a process and quite a difficult uh, process. But he used a number of sources, not just Lemoyne Lemorgue, but he used uh, other informants. And he would read accounts. Uh, he had collected a lot of different accounts uh, from various travels and various voyages. One of the fortunate things about map making at this time was the recent invention of the printing press in Europe. The benefit of this was that these maps could be printed numerous times and create a uniform image that anyone with a copy of the printed map would have. Here, Mr. Usman tells me about what steps printers had to take to bring a map like Debris to life. They were made mostly by copper plate engravings. This was a, an intaglio process, actually. They're made by carving into a copper plate, and the ink is uh, rubbed uh, into the carved areas away from the flat surface, and then this moistened paper is placed over the plate, and they are run through the rollers of a press. And where the plate is pressed, it presses... It, uh, the paper pushes into the engraved lines and the, uh, prints the image made by those lines. And it's in reverse. So uh, you have to draw it backwards on the plate in order to have it right when you want it to come out on the other side, uh, on the paper itself. Debris' map was the first map of Florida ever created in 1564, but it was not published until 1591. The first map of Florida ever published was produced by Geronimo Chavez in 1584. Mr. Usman tells me why some of these maps were not widely available and how Chavez came to make the first map. The Spanish kings wanted to keep all of their information secret and they also wanted to assemble it in one area so that they could make a, a master map of the whole world and of all their territories that they claimed. And this house of trade in Spain was the clearinghouse of geographic information for the New World. And Geronimo Chavez was the chief royal cartographer. 
he constructed this first map really the first map of Florida that there that, that focuses on the area of what's today the southeastern United States. I interviewed Ben Useman and others for the podcast series A History of Central Florida. Look for it on iTunes. That was Ben Useman and I'm Robert Castanello with Florida Frontiers. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us right here again next week. Until then, visit us anytime on the web at myfloridahistory.org and be sure to like us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society. Have a great week. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Historical Resources and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.